Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another exciting episode of Views on View. My name is Steve Edwards. I am the host with the face for radio and the voice for being a mime, but I'm still your host. Today with me from crawling out of the woodwork on a panel, I have Mr. Luke Diebold coming all the way from Australia. How are you doing, Luke? I'm doing well. Thank you, Steve. So uh, for those of you who might uh, remember, Luke has been a, a host with us on the past, and, and uh, I'll talk about that in a little bit, why he's back. But to bring on our very special guest, we have coming from Laravel PHP fame, Mr. Taylor Otwell. How you doing, Taylor? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Thank you. It is a real honor to have you here. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. Just to mention the poll that Taylor has, I mentioned Luke being here. Luke, you know, had some lame excuse about not being able to do these podcasts, something about getting up at four or five in the morning and wanting sleep and, you know, little <laughs> things like that that let's get in the way of, of work. But he's still listed as, as one of our... Uh, one of our hosts on our internal system. And so when I put in this appointment in there to talk to Taylor, within about two minutes, I had we had messages and emails coming from Luke saying, dude, Taylor's on. Oh, can I come on, please, please? Can I come on just this one time? And so I said, all right, Luke, I guess if you just want to hop on the bandwagon, that's fine. So, so Luke is here. Wow. I was just going to like coast through this, not thinking that, oh, wow, you just made me sound so cool. <laughs> <laughs> For those that don't remember, Luke is real big into the view framework. Quasar. Quasar, yes. And we've had him on to talk about it before. And uh, you want to talk about Quasar real quick? Give us a two-minute uh, description. Yeah, sure. Quasar is a material design framework that basically gives you, um, makes it really easy to build front-end apps. And it's built on top of Vue. And one of its big selling points is that it exports to Lots of different platforms, so mobile, desktop, PWA, SPA, all that good stuff. Yeah, and I absolutely adore it. So that's why I discovered the framework, but then I stayed for the components because I think it's just got the most gorgeous component library on the planet. Yeah, and that paired with a Laravel backend, I think, is just bliss. Excellent. All right. So with that, let's move on to Laravel. Now, Taylor, I'll just give you a little of my background. <clears throat> And it might be similar to many other people that are out there. I started looking at PHP in the late 90s, early 2000, and did some just plain PHP work. This is before a lot of the frameworks and tools were out there. And then I got into it via Drupal. Um, I went looking for a CMS in about 2006, found Drupal, and lived in that world for about 10 years. And then I started moving over to the JavaScript side of things with AngularJS and then moved over into Vue. When I came here to my current job at a place called GovExec, 
it was Laravel code base. And so it was my first foray into Laravel at all. And so I've had, you know, we started out six and just recently finally got upgraded to nine now that it's LTS. And so we have a large code base that's uh, MongoDB, Elasticsearch, Laravel, and then Vue. So that's been my exposure to Laravel. And over the years, I've seen, uh, you know, I've been Googling for answers or, you know, trying to figure out how to do stuff, whether Vue or PHP had often come across like Laracast, uh, Jeffrey Way's site, and had read here and there about how Vue and, and Laravel were becoming a little more entwined. And so I thought, uh, you know, I'd get you on to talk about sort of the history of Laravel and then how uh, how you started using Vue and how it started becoming more and more entwined with Laravel. So I guess to start out, can you talk about Laravel, why you started it, you know, what you thought you could do that maybe somebody else wasn't doing and when you started it and, and how it's grown into be the powerhouse that it is? Mm-hmm. Sure. So I graduated from um, university in 2008 and started working for a big trucking company here in the US and mainly did uh, .NET and COBOL at my day job and classic ASP. And after a few years of that, I'd always kind of wanted to try like creating my own thing or starting my own side business to make money on the side and maybe even you know work from home or whatever, just kind of the entrepreneur dream. And I needed a really fast way to kind of prototype these business ideas. And doing it in .NET was, I guess, achievable, but it wasn't as easy to host as PHP, where you could just FTP a bunch of files up to the server and kind of be done with it. So I started tinkering around with a few different PHP frameworks, um, like CodeIgniter and whatever else was out there at the time. Um, Really liked CodeIgniter, um, but wanted to integrate some of the features from the .NET world that I was used to. Things like dependency injection and a different database layer, like more of a Rails-style active record database uh, layer. And so I kind of just started hacking on this framework in my free time without ever really the intention of making it any big deal or making it um, a big open source thing. I was just kind of building something for myself. And I think it took me probably like, I want to say like five or six months to really get it to a point where I really liked it. And once I got to that point, I felt like, well, I might as well like write some documentation for it and put it out there on GitHub and see what happens. So I wrote a lot of documentation. It actually had pretty thorough documentation from day one, which I've always thought was pretty key to it, it gaining some momentum pretty quickly because a lot of people were releasing tools and even other PHP frameworks that just were sort of like half done or half documented and it didn't really feel like that solid. So I put it out there and it got like four stars the first day on GitHub and I was super pumped. And really, that's all I didn't really expect much more than that. You know, I just that's kind of all I expected. But, um, you know, slowly it kept growing. And eventually I got an email from a guy named Ian Landsman at a company uh, called Userscape who builds a help desk software called HelpSpot. And he was like, hey, uh, you know, HelpSpot's written in PHP and we, we'd like to rewrite some stuff. And Laravel looks really cool. Would you be interested in coming to work here? So... I was like, yeah, that sounds great, actually, because I'll be able to keep working on Laravel and kind of use it in the real world because I actually wasn't using it at all at my day job because I was writing .NET. So I go to work for him and he actually gives me the first like five or six months just to work on Laravel full time. So that's when I wrote a lot of the key features that are in there today, like database migrations. Um, I wrote during that time. I also wrote the queue uh, system during that time because the thought process was we're going to be processing a lot of incoming emails. So a lot of the features I was building were 
you know, to to scale up, to build that kind of system, to be able to queue all those incoming emails, to queue sending all the emails, all of that. So that's kind of like, you know, how where Laravel really started to grow because I was able to write so much stuff at Userscape that we were using in the real world. And that's when Laracon started and all of that stuff. So, and then from there, I, I went on to build Forge and some other commercial businesses around Laravel, which let me eventually just start work working full time on the framework, you know, eight hours a day, five days a week, pretty much. Okay. So if you can explain what Forge is, I guess, and, and how that, that works, I guess, from a business standpoint, how that enables you to, to do, to work on it like that. Yeah. So when I was at Userscape, I was doing a lot of spinning up test servers and like installing Nginx on them, installing PHP on them to try different things with Laravel, either to benchmark something or to put up some dummy little website that I was trying some stuff with. And I was doing it so much that I thought, hey, it would be cool just to automate all this server creation and kind of Laravel deployment into a tool. Again, even if no one else used it, at least I would have this really fast way to deploy these little Laravel apps out to uh, the web. So I started hacking on it with a really ugly user interface. But just to get the kind of core system ideas out there, I built this platform that you link to like a DigitalOcean account or an AWS account. And it creates the server for you. It installs PHP. It installs MySQL. It installs Nginx and whatever else you want. And it can configure webhooks to where when you push your Laravel app to GitHub, it deploys all the fresh code and all of that. So it was a little bit like a Heroku. I guess you could think of it a little bit like that, but not quite as managed. And that's the first commercial product I built for Laravel where I started charging, you know, like a monthly subscription fee, which generated revenue for the project, which meant it was now sustainable for me to work full time on the project, essentially. Okay, so Forge, is that strictly for the Laravel side of things? Does that allow you to host things like, say, an Inertia View front end or something like that? Or, Or what does it allow you to do? Pretty much any PHP application you can get up and running on Forge. We haven't really div- dove into ho- trying to host any sort of other apps like Rails apps or Node apps. It's, it's really just a PHP deployment and, uh, server provisioning service. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I've heard about it. Haven't had a chance to dig into it myself a lot, but uh, well, that looks like I can just imagine the the complexities with having to communicate to all those different backend services mm-hmm. and you know spin everything up and provision it and provide it you know sort of one API to all the backends. But mm-hmm. for someone like me who doesn't know all that, that would be a life a godsend <laughs> <laughs> yeah. to not have to configure all that stuff. Yeah. So let's talk about Vue then. I was reading a little bit of a history with Laravel and Vue. And one thing that I saw was a tweet you had put out, looks about April of 2015, says current React learning status overwhelmed learning Vue.js because it looks easy and has pretty website. <laughs> yeah. So where was your, uh, what was your journey in terms of React and, and Vue? Were you looking for like something that was using JavaScript that was different than Blade? So you weren't necessarily doing server rendering or what was the impetus there? It was, it all kind of ties into Forge. Um, so when I was building Forge, I wanted it to be sort of live updating and feel very fluid, like you would expect kind of more of like a JavaScript app to feel. So what I originally wrote Forge in was actually Angular and wrote the whole front end for Forge and Angular. And it kind of worked like an Inertia app, but Inertia didn't exist at the time. But the way it worked was sort of like that, where every page sort of had its own Inertia, or not Inertia, but Angular controller. And it was very isolated. There was no client-side routing or anything like that. So it had this very Inertia feel, but before Jonathan had ever even written that tool. Angular, of course, it felt like was starting to... to lose a little bit of momentum and, and things like React and Vue were getting a little bit more popular. And so I was like, well, I guess I better check out, you know, some of these other front end tools that are sort of in their ascendancy. 
and looked at React and it just and it just felt very foreign coming from Angular. You know, the syntax was really different compared to the Angular code I'd written for Forge. But when I looked at Vue, it, of course, had some similarities to Angular. Things like vif or, you know, v4 were very similar to like ng-if. Um, so it all looked very similar to me. And I thought the documentation was really good. And it just pulled me in from the start. And that tweet always kind of gets brought up, um, you know, by Evan and others when they when they talk about Vue and Laravel. But once I started using Vue, I was just kind of hooked on the simplicity of it. And just the fact that I could, at the time, I could just put like a script tag in the head of my HTML and just start writing Vue right there uh, with no compilation or build step or anything. Um, so that really let me experiment with the framework and sort of get used to it in a really accessible way. Yeah, one thing I wanted to mention real quick was you had uh, you talked about how when you first started writing Laravel, one of the things you focused on was the documentation. And, you know, having been in open source communities, I know that's always the bane of any open source project is trying to get people to write documentation so that you can come in and understand it easily. And the one thing that Vue and Laravel both have in common is the reputation of their documentation that you can go in and look and from that docs alone, you can figure out how to do stuff, how to spin something up, how to, you know, how to do things. So, so I would say, you know, my boss often will tell me, you know, I'll ask him some question, you know, basically RTFM, go look at the Laravel docs because yeah. they have pretty much, pretty much uh, what you need going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I actually took a technical writing class in university, and I, I think about that class all the time. Actually, when I'm writing <laughs> the Laravel docs, so it really, it really came in handy, and I think. I mean, honestly, um, looking back on my time in PHP, the tools with the best documentation, you know, win, so to speak, in terms of the amount of users that use those tools and the popularity they achieve. And I've seen kind of tools that were maybe technically superior to other tools under the hood, but because they didn't, no one knew how to use them, you know, or they weren't documented that well, they just never really get the same steam. And that's when you see people, you know, kind of complaining, like, why, why don't people use this tool? This tool's way better, way, you know, way superior. But if it's not, you know, user-friendly or documented, then no one really ever picks up on it. Yeah, I mean, for, for maybe more experienced programmers who've been around, those are people that don't have a problem with or have the time or have the ability to go in and actually look at the code and figure out, okay, this is what this is doing. This is how you call this. And hey, all that. But the vast majority of people that are coming to a tool, whether it's, you know, a framework, a CMS, whatever, they're going to look for some documentation to tell you to do something so they don't have to go and, and look how to do it. So, yeah, that's that's certainly one of the great strengths of, of, of Laravel and Vue. I must say, I pretty much, I like write, writing documentation. There's, I'm very good at writing documentation just because I'm such a technical geek. I can write technical docs up the wazoo. Ask me to write something creative like a poem or a story and, and <laughs> I would die if my life depended upon it. Or a dad joke, yeah. Oh, uh, well, no, those I can do. Those I can do because <laughs> I write all my own dad jokes. But yeah. but yeah, it's time. A lot of time it's just time to sit down and do it and suss it out. And writing technical documentation is not easy. Because you need to yeah. do it. It'd be as someone who understands the code and says, Oh, this is easy, you just do this and this. Sure, you could write something out pretty quick, but being able to write it in a way that is easily understandable and detailed enough for somebody who's new to it is is a gift and it, it's a skill, mm. I think for sure. So yes, I, I would imagine having a having a class to learn how to do that, though that's gotta be that had to be a great tool mm-hmm. for writing that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then once I once I discovered Vue. That's kind of when we put out our first commercial product that used Vue, which was called Laravel Spark. Um, okay. So 
all of the when I built Forge and I went on to build a product called Envoyer, I had to write all of this sort of subscription boilerplate code, um, like letting people sign up for subscriptions, let them download their invoices, let them update their payment method. And I really didn't want to ever have to write that again if I ever wrote another business because it was just such a chore to write all of that code. So I created this package uh, slash product called Laravel Spark, which basically scaffolds out all of that subscription boilerplate code. And it was powered by uh, Vue on the front end. Um, so all of the front end stuff with the UI the UI piece of it was all powered by Vue. And so that's when we kind of had our first official integration with Vue in a commercial sense. And we also built all of our Laravel auth scaffolding. So when you started doing Laravel app, um, at the time, there was a command you could run that would generate all the login, the registration views, the password reset views. All of that was also kind of powered by Vue. So Vue started to feel very much like this first-class citizen in the Laravel world that was sort of the preferred way to write JavaScript in Laravel apps for many years, you know since then so was that with in terms of communicating between Vue and laravel was it were you just using like rest api endpoints to find in laravel and then Vue is calling those with something like an axios or fetch or something yeah like that? For, yeah and it's it's evolved over the years but from what i remember yeah that's pretty much how it worked nowadays spark actually runs on inertia and right so we don't have to make those kinds of um, calls but at the time i think it was using something more like axios uh, to call the back end and Spark still runs on, you know, Vue and Inertia to this day. And 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 eventually Forge was eventually migrated to Vue and now Vue 3. And actually all of our stuff runs on Vue, including Envoyer and Vapor and everything else. Was there any yeah. pushback around that time when you decided to... Because I think I remember it was Bootstrap at first. And I don't know if it ended up being Vue and Bootstrap. Right, yeah, it did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then were, were people okay with this, or were some were there a lot of like front end purists that wanted just a JavaScript or jQuery to begin with? Yeah, there was some of that, and I think there was also some of just misunderstanding. Like a lot of people, I don't know a lot, but just anecdotally, I would see people online, and they were under the impression, well, if I don't use Vue and Bootstrap, I can't use Laravel, you know, and that wasn't really the impression we were trying to give. This was just some scaffolding you could use if you wanted. If you didn't like it, just delete it and write your own login and registration view with whatever front end stuff you want. But yeah, there was a little bit of pushback. What actually got more pushback years later is moving from Bootstrap to Tailwind, uh, much more than uh, (laughs) initially integrating uh, with Vue. But yeah, I would say it was actually less pushback, more confusion in the sense that people thought, well, if I prefer Angular, I prefer React, Laravel's not for me because Laravel uses Vue. And that's that wasn't exactly true. It was true that, you know, we used Vue for our login stuff out of the box. All the scaffolding stuff used Vue, but you could just not use all that or you could just delete all that. So it was a lot of educational effort, actually, for us to sort of try to dispel that notion out of the masses, basically, yeah. um, via like documentation and just social media and stuff like that. Because I, it really came up fairly often, I would say, back in 2015, 2016, 2017, kind of that time period. And how do you walk that line? of? Because it, sometimes it feels like, like the more benefit that Laravel gives you sometimes, like the more different ways you get of starting an application, the more people complain. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, I see this in the view world as well. I see this parallel where the view brings out the composition API. You know, you've still got the options API. That's totally fine. Really, the composition API is kind of like a lower level of the options API. 
And so you can go there if you want to, but you don't have to. And I see, like, I, I sort of see a parallel here where with Laravel, I think one of the beautiful things about it is it's built in such a gorgeously architectured way that it's able to authenticate in all these different ways. So you can have like Breeze and you've got like, you can use Passport or you can use Sanctum. So if you're doing an SPAO, you want to go like the sort of all in Laravel using Blade or Blade Envy, like all of these options are available and they all work gorgeously. Like you can have beautiful code using all of these different approaches. However, sometimes having those extra approaches seems to make people upset because they feel like they don't know what to do. Yeah. But then if you don't give people that flexibility, then, you know, there's complaints. That there's like, how, how do you walk that line? Because I feel like Laravel does this um, better than just about anybody else. Yeah, this has been like an ongoing, I don't know, that's been an ongoing kind of conundrum for me over the past year or two. Because one, there are a lot of different ways to build web applications, especially to authenticate them and to architect them in different ways. Um, so... You know, we have, you could, like you said, you could run a view front end and a totally isolated in a separate GitHub repository Laravel backend that uses Sanctum to authenticate that view front end. You can use Inertia. You could use just plain Laravel with no, I mean, would you like Blade and Livewire, um, which would be no JavaScript on the front end at all, really. Um, so... I've tried to be a little bit opinionated than docs because it does create this kind of analysis paralysis in people where they're, they want to make the right choice for their app because, of course, everyone thinks their app is sort of like the next big thing that's going to live 20 years and that these initial decisions are really important. So, like, of course, they want to start like on the right foot. But when they have so many options, I think you're right. They do get kind of frustrated. They don't know what to pick. It's overwhelming, confusing. So lately, what I've done, started doing in the docs is just being like, if you want to use Vue or React on the front end, like you need to use Laravel Inertia because that's the most productive way to build those kind of apps. Um, as long as you have the team that can do it, you know, if you have two separate front end teams and you have a front end team that doesn't know anything about Laravel and Inertia, then maybe that's not the right approach for you. But in our docs, we've tried to be more opinionated about like, we think this is the happy path if you want to use JavaScript on the front end. If you don't want to use JavaScript on the front end, we think Livewire is kind of the happy path um, for really building an app that feels modern and interactive and what people would expect, you know, in 2022 in terms of like a web application. But yeah, it's been an, I mean, that's been an ongoing saga, you know, in the Laravel story is trying to give people a lot of different options that are all fine. And then how to do that while also avoiding that sort of analysis paralysis. Um, so I've actually started trying to de-emphasize certain libraries that even I written have written in the past. So like, I've started de-emphasizing Passport. Like I don't, we don't make a big deal out of it in the docs because I don't think a ton of people need it. Some people do, but a lot of people don't. And a lot of those people that don't were under this false impression that they actually did when they don't need it. Um, so de-emphasizing that, de-emphasizing Jetstream for newcomers, um, Laravel Jetstream, with this kind of a more robust scaffolding package for Laravel, and then emphasizing the things that I think are the simplest and most productive ways to build things. Emphasizing Breeze, emphasizing Inertia, emphasizing Livewire as the simple mm -hmm. path, I think, to building a Laravel app these days. Um, and that's kind of what we did with the recently released Laravel bootcamp is try to really emphasize like, here's what we think is the happy path for building a Laravel app. <laughs> there are other ways to do it, you know, but this is kind of what we prefer. It must have hurt to de-emphasize Jetstream because <laughs> that, that must have hurt because that like, 
it's gorgeous to be able to yeah. start. I was going around telling all of my friends this, telling my family, and they didn't care. But that you know, you can start an application that's got the entire front end scaffolded out for you as well. Like your your password resets, your two factor authentication. Like that is mind blowing that you can yeah. do that. That with virtually no extra effort, it must have hurt to then be like, okay, we need to de-emphasize this though. So, yeah, but we do have an internal project going right now to make Jetstream work more like Breeze behind the scenes while still retaining all of the features of Jetstream. So not to get too deep in the Laravel weeds, since I know this is a view podcast, but we're trying to make it a little bit less magical and more like Breeze while keeping all of that two-factor authentication and password reset. And you know, it's funny you mentioned that because I was just helping a friend here locally in Arkansas scaffold out a Laravel app the other day, last week actually, and it was the first time that I'd actually used Jetstream sitting next to like another programmer we're going to scaffold out a new app. We use Jetstream and we use Spark. And I was like, holy cow, this actually is pretty good. You know, like we were, <laughs> done, we, we were done in like, you know, 20 minutes. And I was like, that actually went a lot better than I expected. So it was actually nice to have that validation that, oh yeah, this actually is kind of a, a good tool. But but it's more about, I, I think Jetstream is good, It's but it's more like, what do I emphasize on the landing page of the documentation as the first steps for someone that's just getting started with Laravel? And I'm trying to de-emphasize Jetstream to those people a little bit because I think it's just a bit much. If you're really new to Laravel, it's a lot to take in, I think, compared to something simpler. But yeah, it does uh, it does hurt a little bit, and it always hurts when you know when Jetstream first came out. It was pretty controversial. You know, a lot of people didn't really like it, and that's what led me to create Breeze, which is sort of a lighter version of Jetstream. And I don't know, that's just how open source goes sometimes. No worries talking about Laravel since that's your your area of expertise. What I was hoping to do is maybe if we could give a little more definition to some of the packages and terms we've been throwing around. I'm familiar with them, sort of. So we've been talking about. Breeze, inertia, Jetstream, Livewire, right? So how do those all fit together? Now, my understanding of from having played with them is that Livewire is the blade version where Jetstream is the inertia version with view on top. They're the same thing. It's just how the front-end templating works. Is that correct? Or are there other differences as well? And how does Breeze um, fit in? <laughs> not quite. So let, let's start with uh, Breeze. So let's pretend we started a new Laravel app. We did Laravel new, my example application on the command line. These days, it doesn't come with any sort of additional scaffolding. You hit the landing page of your new app and you get sort of a Laravel welcome screen and it links you to the documentation. But other than that, you're sort of free to start coding whatever you want. Now, if you're going to have like a login and registration page, you can pull in what's called Laravel Breeze, which is an open source package, which basically just exports login and registration templates to your app written in either Blade, which is PHP templating, or Vue via Inertia. And I'll get to Inertia in a second, or actually React and Inertia as well. So you have three different options. Now, Inertia is basically... I like to think of it as kind of a thin layer between your Laravel app and your Vue app where it takes care of all of the routing and all of the sort of data hydration between the two layers. So whereas if you had a a classic JavaScript SPA, you would define your routes on the client side and they would route to different components or pages or whatever. And then when those components load, they would usually, you know, ask the backend for some data via kind of an asynchronous request and then all the data gets populated on the screen. And that all that all works fine. Um, but what Inertia lets you do is use the Laravel routing you're always used to. So you define all your routes on the back end. 
And then instead of rendering a blade template or PHP template, you tell Laravel to render basically a view page, a view template, and you pass it all of the data you want. And it shoves all of that data down through the props of that view template and you're on the page. So what it kind of does when you're using Laravel is it solves a few problems. The routing, a lot of people find server-side routing to be a little simpler than client-side routing. It also serves the initial data hydration thing where when an inertia page loads, pretty much all of the data is already on the screen. You don't really need a lot of loading indicators or things like that, you know, because all of the data was retrieved server-side and, and pushed down to the page. So that's kind of all inertia does. It's it's really actually a pretty simple library. At the end of the day, it just solves that routing and data hydration thing. So anyway, that's Laravel Breeze. But what actually preceded Laravel Breeze was a package called Laravel Jetstream. And it did all the same things as Breeze. It has the login, the registration page, and it did more. So it actually had like a profile management page where the user could update their password, where they could enable two-factor authentication, where they could delete their account. Sort of that, that general profile management that every app you sign up for has, um, all of that kind of stuff. And again, you could either have it use view and inertia, or you could have it use blade. And the blade option also used a live a library called Livewire, which is very similar to LiveView in the Phoenix ecosystem, where it's basically a way to uh, a picture a view component, but picture if it was ported to PHP. So you have like a mounted hook in the PHP class, you have these uh, action methods in the PHP class that might be like, you know, if you're building a to do list app, you might have a function in there called delete to do. And it actually deletes the to do from the database. And then you wire it up to your PHP template with like a wire click handler. So just like you would add a click handler in view. But it's sort of this magical library that makes it all work in PHP. And I don't have a good understanding of honestly of how that all works under the hood, but it's pretty crazy and magical. So those are your two options for Jetstream. But like I said, Jetstream has a lot of features. So when it first came out, some people felt a little overwhelmed by it. That led me to write kind of a slimmed down version called Breeze, which was just kind of a play on the word Jetstream and kind of a, a smaller Jetstream um, and released that. But it's just at the end of the day, it's just a fast way to start a new Laravel application that's going to have authentication functionality. Now, one of the other pieces of any type of web application like this these days is your bundler and your hot module reloading and all that kind of stuff. And I know, like everything else in the world, Webpack was, you know, the dominant. And I was just looking recently, and I'm pretty sure you've moved to Veed. Is that correct? In the Jetstream installer? Yeah, everything in the Laravel ecosystem pretty much uses Veed now as of, I guess, maybe a couple months ago. Um, okay. So yeah, we were on Webpack for I think about five years, and we had wrapped up Webpack in a tool called Laravel Mix that was originally written by Jeffrey Way, and me and him kind of collaborated on coming up with a lot of those ideas in Laravel Mix. But the idea behind that was just to give a simpler API on top of Webpack because Webpack files felt really complicated. But yeah, as V sort of started gaining momentum and the hot module reloading was so fast and the bundling was so fast, we were like, man, we really need to check this out. So we actually ported everything over to V. So like Breeze and Jetstream, when you scaffold out a new layer of application using those tools, you have a V config file and that takes care of all your bundling and stuff. And, you know, again, that's one of those things that has been met with some controversy, I guess. Not not a lot, but, you know, people get used to the tools that they're used to for a period of years and it's always hard to move. But we felt like it ended up being just a much simpler solution for us because the config file is so much simpler. Um, we have less to maintain on our end compared to all this Webpack stuff we were doing. So that's been a... I've actually really enjoyed that. That's been a good tool, uh, a good move for us. 
Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and, and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. Yeah, that's a common refrain I hear across the VD ecosystem, you know, for everybody that's using it. You know, Svelte uses it and mm -hmm. I think React's using it and uh, I just... A lot of people are using Vite and absolutely love it. I, I was doing a, I did a view course for uh, View Mastery. And when I first spun up Nux, it was on Nux 3. And when I first spun it up, it blew me away how fast it was. Just right. the, the, the immediate uh, rendering. So and it was funny. I was, the reason I was asking was a few months ago, probably three to four months ago, I was Googling a lot of, of, blog posts on how to replace Webpack with V in inertia <laughs> or something yeah. like that. So I went back I and looked, looked like last week post. and saw that. I was like, yes, thank you. That's one less thing I headache I have to deal with for sure. Yeah. Yep. So then one last thing before we move on, we were talking about breeze and inertia and you talked about the the, the templating for like your login and your, your registration and password reset. Now that also includes all the controllers and everything underneath that right. does that, right? Depending yes. on your database. Right, that's correct, yeah. That is so nice. I just love it. Yep. And maybe another thing worth pointing out is that um, that's, I believe that's sitting on top of Fortify. So which... Jetstream does. Um, Jetstream does sit on top of that. Fortify is another package I've somewhat tried to de-emphasize over the last year or so. If, yeah, Fortify provides a lot of the back-end authentication mechanisms that Jetstream is using, and it's sort of abstracted into this separate package called Fortify that Jetstream sort of taps into. Um, Breeze does not use Fortify at all. Breeze just interacts with Laravel's authentication stuff directly um, right in the controllers. So this, is, this is like one of the amazing things to me about Laravel because Breeze comes along, but I usually, um, so not Breeze, sorry, um, Jetstream comes along, but I'm usually building apps that are very sort of front-end heavy, and I use Laravel just as an API in the back-end. Right. And so I'm like, okay, this is really cool, but I can't really use it. Then I realized I can just set up Fortify with Sanctum, which is, it's, down, it's, down, it's probably sounding like word salad to people who don't, that don't know the ecosystem, but this basically means that I can start a front-end application with and hook it up to my backend with password resets, with um, registration, with basically everything that you'd need to get started with a new application using Fortify. And right. it's just, it's just magical. I actually, um, I created something called View Auth, which allows you to set up View with Sanctum and Fortify. So if you're using Quasar, you can just say like Quasar extension add. Um, I think it's like View Auth slash Auth and You've got a whole front-end Quasar application with all the scaffolding. It's almost like um, Jetstream, but for Quasar. Right. And like, th yeah, this just blows my idea. mind. 
Yeah, that yeah, was always the idea was for Fortify to kind of be this headless authentication backend that anyone could port or could kind of snap a front end onto. And Jetstream just happened to be one of the front ends we offered, but it was, wasn't supposed to be limited to that. So yeah, that was always the idea, you know, that someone could come along and just strap a new front end on it, whether it be a Quasar front end or a Jetstream front end and leverage Fortify to do all of the authentication stuff without really having to worry about it. So yeah, that, that was the goal. So I'm glad it kind of worked out that way. Oh, okay. That's awesome to hear. And a real, it's a real testament to the framework too, that you can just keep, you know, there's all these different pieces that can exist that can just be like um, swapped and replaced. And I, I wonder how much foresight was there when you were first building the framework? Like why, why is it that Laravel could do this? Because I feel like a lot of other frameworks wouldn't be able to do this. And I think the secret maybe goes a little bit too deep and it's got something to do with the um you know inversion of control and all that jazz but were you thinking way into the future and some of these ideas were on your radar very early on like why like how is it that laravel has this architecture that has allowed you to build something like throw all of these different things on top of it and have them pluggable I think it evolved over a period of years. Um, so it didn't, it didn't quite feel that way in Laravel 1.0, um, or, <laughs> or, or 3.0. But once we started getting actually to, I would say Laravel 4.0, which gosh, I don't even remember when that was, maybe 2014 or something like that. Then we kind of had that pluggable service provider type architecture that still exists in modern Laravel and probably will be for the, foreseeable future always be the architecture of Laravel. Um, so it wasn't like a, it wasn't necessarily from the start, but uh, once we got a few years in and got a lot of more real world experience and feedback from users, it sort of evolved into that architecture. Thankfully, people put up with breaking changes enough during those early years that we didn't lose all of our uh, developers because we were constantly shifting things, evolving things, and even breaking things pretty often in those first few years as we ch- sort of tried to feel our way towards something that we felt would be um, long-lasting and that would serve us well, you know, for many years into the future. And in hindsight, you know, post Laravel 4.0, it actually has served us really well overall because we haven't had to make any just big paradigm shifting architectural changes to Laravel in quite some time. So yeah, it was just something that evolved out of real world experience. It's hard to sort of have the foresight, you know, without any experience and build something like that. Um, Just always has to come from kind of real world feedback, I think. Yeah, cool. So... Let's talk a little bit more about the ecosystem. You know, we've talked about Breeze and Inertia and Jetstream. We talked about Forge. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, if you go to the Laravel documentation page and click on ecosystem, you get a list of 19 different tools uh, and integrations for Laravel. I know, for instance, one that we use uh, for a very, very large application is Nova, which mm-hmm. is really awesome. And it's a way, it's a backend administration tool for users and for all of your, whatever objects you have in your database and structures. And it's just like Laravel, it's extensible as heck. You can write all kinds of methods and do things behind the scenes and give your administrators a way to to, to update records. And even probably the one I like the best that's really cool for us um, is that I can go into our app and get a URL that allows me to log into our app as a customer. And so that way I can right, see yeah. I can see what they're seeing and much easier to troubleshoot something than to have them tell me, well, it's doing this and this and send me this yeah. and, and that. So Nova is 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 mm-hmm. one of those really amazing tools. 
Right. And, you know, a lot of these tools, I'm looking at this drop down now, are some of them are commercial products and some of them are open source packages. But, you know, all of them are just sort of things that over the years, we at Laravel or I personally sort of had this need to do something in Laravel. Like, for example, um, Laravel Dusk, which is like a browser testing oh, yes. autom- or a browser automation library. You know, it was just something I personally needed to do. And so I just sat down and wrote that library and, um, you know, a lot of the other ecosystem packages are like that. Um, Scout, Socialite, those are all personal needs that we had at the company or I had in something I was trying to build, um, a new business or something. And so anytime I would come across something like that, I would just build a new package um, because I was working full-time on the framework anyway. It sort of gave me the luxury of doing that and would put it out there. So over the period of, you know, the last... 11 years, we've accumulated um, a decent library of things that, that lets people do you know, a variety of cool, cool things. Yeah, some of the ones we're using, we just started with Ballet. Ballet is really great because that allows you, it automatically handles all your DNS for you so that if you go to a directory and say, was it Ballet Start or Ballet Park? I forget the commands. Yeah. And instead of having to go in and manually configure a patch here, you know, like I've done in the old days, it's just boom, you know, it's something dot test eighty eighty and you're up and running and you yeah. know, install a new Laravel package in that same directory and it, it handles that yeah. for you. And That's- Valet is great because it started basically as a joke uh between me so I was talking to Adam Wathen, the creator of Tailwind, one day, and I asked him, like, hey, how are you running your Laravel apps just on your local laptop? You know, are you using a virtual machine? Are you using what? What are you doing? He was like, "Oh, I just run PHP Artisan Surf. I just use the PHP web server." And I was like, "What? You? That's all you do is you run the PHP web yeah. server?" And he's like, "Yeah." And I was like, "Well, what if you need to run a different app? You know, because I work on three or four apps at the same time." He's like, "Well, I just go. I just shut that one down and I go over to the other app and I run PHP Artisan Surf on that app." And I was like, "Man, I, I mean, that's okay, I guess, but it just sounds kind of like inconvenient to always be having to like start and stop different sites, their servers." And I was like. I bet we could build just like a little proxy in front of all that and route to all your different directories like on the fly. And he was like, yeah, that'd be cool. So like we worked on it for like two days, stayed up to like three in the morning and built Laravel Valet. And it's honestly like my favorite package I've probably ever written. Like I, <laughs> I use it so much. Oh yeah, we use it. It's, it's save time. We had, uh, uh, I don't even want to imagine, remember what it was like with Nginx configs and we did PHP Artisan Serve. And then I said, hey, what about Valet? And fired it up and we are off and running. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Dusk. Uh, Dusk is something we use heavily. We've got, I don't know how many hundreds of tests we have for front-end stuff with Vue, but um, think of it as a, what, a Cypress or a, yeah, uh, you know, a front-end and, and testing. And then what's nice about it is if you're familiar with PHP, that's what you write the tests in. You're not writing them in JavaScript. You write them in PHP. Um, I have I did a little configuration with with our setup with a, an environment variable so that I can always have headless off. So that way, when I run my test, then I can watch it go through the browser and see where it's choking and see the errors that I'm, that I'm seeing and stuff. But uh, yeah, it's uh, do, combine that with PHP unit and we get some pretty solid test coverage for just mm-hmm. about everything we do. Yeah. And then uh, what was it? Oh, Envoyer. So deployment, we use Envoyer after the Circle CI, then mm-hmm. we use Envoyer to deploy to, to AWS. Yeah, some of the, there's some there's some great tools here. Great tools here. So I'm always curious about business models and and teams and stuff. So how does Laravel function today? Are you I think Laravel Inc or something I saw or or how is it you're working on this full time? I imagine and you obviously have contributors, documentation, and code and so on. So mm-hmm. how is Laravel set up to to run and function? 
Yeah, basically like a small company. Uh, we have, I think, about seven people here now full time. One of those persons, Dries, who's based in Belgium, he focuses his full time job is on our open source library. So what he does is he sort of helps triage the GitHub issues, diagnose issues, escalate issues up to me that uh, need to be looked at and just sort of manages some of the releases, the versioning, a lot of that sort of open source management stuff. That's actually what he does. He doesn't do anything else at the company but that. So he never touches any of the commercial stuff. We have a customer support tech. We have programmers. Yeah, we have about seven people here working full time. And you know, we're all in Slack, just like any other company. Um, so <laughs> it's kind of interesting because we sort of have two halves to the business. You know, we have the open source stuff, which is actually what I spend most of my time on is just managing pull requests to Laravel, writing new Laravel features, curating the features that are going into Laravel, kind of deciding what we're going to work on, what we're going to focus on. I actually don't do very much coding at all anymore on the commercial products, even though all the commercial products that exist, exist today, I wrote them. I wrote the initial version of those products pretty much myself. and then, But then now they're all maintained by um, the staff at the company. And I, I just spend all my time kind of on the framework itself. But yeah, very, you know, very typical small remote uh, company. We have people in Europe. We have a couple of people in Australia. We have a programmer in Asia. So we're, we're pretty spread out. What's interesting in listening to you talk about both the creation of Laravel and why it started and then some of the different tools that are involved in the ecosystem is that it all comes down to scratching your own itch, right? Yeah, that's all I've ever done. Right. And so it's you're an itchy person. (laughs) (laughs) But when it comes to open source products and startups and stuff, it seems things fall into two different camps. As I've seen, the most successful ones tend to be the ones that do like this. Hey, I need this. I wrote something for this. Let me put it out there and see what happens. That's how Drupal got started. You know, we started, Drew started that as a message board when he was in college and you put it out there and it took off versus those who I want to make some money. I need to come up with a product that I think is going to be successful and go write that. And from what I've seen, the success rate of those types of products aren't quite as as high as those who scratch their own itch because those that are using it to scratch their own itch know they have something useful because they used it yeah, <laughs> to, sure. to solve a need, you know? Yeah, you know you have at least one person in your product market. <laughs> I agree. It's It's always been... I hate feeling like I'm just on the hunt for a product, you know, that, man, I really would like to start a new business. What, let me just try to think of something that people might want. That's extremely hard for me. I've never really been able to do that successfully. If I was going to do that, I would actually just rather build something that already exists, but just try to build it a little better. You know, like I know a lemonade stand can be successful, you know, so let me just start a better lemonade stand. (laughs) I know a help desk can be successful. I know an accounting app can be successful because there's dozens of them and they all make a little bit of money. So let me just build that. But trying to come up with something totally new, a new product space is extremely hard, I think. So yeah, if, if I'm just... I've always just been scratching my own itch, so to speak, when I built Forge and Vapor and Envoyer. They were all personal things I wanted to solve my own um, to solve my own problems. And I've always seen myself as a pretty average programmer where if if I have this pro if I'm having a problem, it's very likely that hundreds of other programmers are also having this problem. So I I feel a little bit more confident that there's a product market fit. So where does the name Laravel come from? A few different places. Um, At the time when I first was coming up with Laravel, I was having a really hard time coming up with names. And I just started inventing words that that weren't real words. Um, So I was playing uh, Civilization, the strategy game on my PC, and there was a ship called a Caravel. And so I just swapped the first letter of that 
and got Laravel. Um, it also rhymes at the same, around the same time, the Narnia movies had kind of just came out into theaters. And yes, I see where you're going with that. Yeah. The Kings and Queens of Narnia lived at Care Paravel. So that yep. I swapped the first letter of that and that rhymes or that made Laravel. So both of those things kind of happened around the same time. And, uh, we ended up with Laravel and I was like, well, that sounds good enough, you know, and, uh, just went with it from there. But there's no huge, uh, not nothing really deeper than that behind it. Um, just sounded good at the time. Yeah, it's always funny to hear where some of the names come from. A lot of times they're foreign languages. You know, Evan really likes the French words <laughs> review and Vite and you know stuff yeah. like that. So future. So Laravel nine is the current version. LTS. What's on uh, What's on the roadmap for Laravel? I'm really happy with where Laravel's at right now. Um, some of the things we do a yearly release. So every year there's a new release. So in the spring there will be or. I guess like in February, there will be um, a Laravel 10. Just because it goes from 9 to 10, it doesn't mean that um, there's huge changes necessarily, especially especially this deep into the framework lifecycle. Usually the changes are very minor, and we actually try to really minimize uh, breaking changes these days. But, you know, I mean, some of the things that we are working on are educational, like the Laravel boot camp. Uh, we are working on new Forge features. And then we're working on, you know, as PHP evolves, they have a yearly release. So every year we sort of evolve with the language. So um, PHP over the past few years has been really augmenting their type system. So, you know, like in JavaScript, you have TypeScript. PHP in the early days did not have a lot of types at all. I mean, it didn't even have classes at first, I don't think. So over time, PHP has been adding a more robust type system. So what we've got going on currently is trying to figure out how to add some of that to Laravel in places where we can do it without breaking everyone's applications, because we can't necessarily add types internally everywhere people get errors um, when they update. So we're working on some of that for Laravel 10 um, in February, doing what we can there. So yeah, just minor things, really quality of life things. At this point in Laravel's life, you know, my goal is to make sure that it feels really stable and like a trustworthy foundation for people because people don't want to use a tool that's changing every year, you know, um, and they have to relearn everything. And we could get away with that in the early years when it was sort of only early adopters that were using Laravel and sort of people that were comfortable li- living on the bleeding edge all the time. But now that we've got, you know, large companies depending on Laravel for sort of all of their business, we try to keep things a lot more stable and minimize those breaking changes. So what we do is actually try to write a lot of packages that just augment Laravel, you know, things like Jetstream, things like Fortify, things like Nova. Those are things that we can build and release without breaking anything in the framework because they're sort of optional peripheral packages that just make it better. So we, we've done that last year with Laravel Octane, which really boosts the performance of Laravel, um, lets you do more requests per second, basically, through your Laravel app. So just more of that kind of stuff. Awesome. Yeah, that's, that's you know, we see that everywhere. WordPress, Drupal, any application, Node apps, whatever is, how do you go forward and make things better without breaking everything that comes behind you? Yeah. Um, yep. And for platforms like Drupal, and WordPress that have been around many years that can be challenging. Yeah, when Drupal went to version 8, that's what they did. They gutted it all, all the old Drupal-specific stuff and went to Symfony and, you know, Guzzle and Twig and all the -the off-the-shelf stuff and basically just pieced it together. And that was... It's been a challenge, (laughs) you know, from what I've seen for sure. Like what I try to avoid, how I think about it internally is I don't like to send people shopping. And what I mean by that is when you do something like that, like in Drupal's case, when the migration or the breaking changes become so big, people start to think, well, maybe instead of rewriting in Drupal, we should just move to something else entirely. You know, like while we're, if we're going to have to rewrite everything, let's just move to 
product XYZ, which looks nicer and shinier and blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, when I'm when I'm building Laravel, I don't want to release so many breaking changes where people feel like, well, Laravel is kind of breaking a lot. Maybe we should just move to Rails or maybe we should just move to something else entirely, you know. So I always try to keep things really stable these days and just augment in these other packages where I can. Well, I don't know if it was that way for you, but that was my impetus to get into Vue was when Angular went from AngularJS to Angular 2. And I've heard that across the board. Yep. And my reason was because Jeffrey said so. (laughs) (laughs) That's a a lot of people's reason. I I think there's a real value in that as well. Being like, and I think this is like a testament to both Jeffrey and Laravel. It's, It's really helpful to just have somebody tell you what to do to begin with. Eventually you reach a point where you're like, okay, I understand the Laravel ecosystem now. I understand the Vue ecosystem and I can start pulling things together myself. You know, some things I might want to write myself from scratch because you have that kind of, you, you have that kind of breadth of knowledge. Mm-hmm. But man, early on, it was so helpful to have, you know, Laracast and Jeffrey Way just saying, this is how we do it. Right. Um, and being able to read the Laravel docs and be able to just get, get the simple stuff working fast. Yeah. So something that I'm curious you know, your thoughts on this being in the Vue ecosystem a lot. You know, something when I first wrote Laravel 11, 12 years ago, most of the people coming into Laravel were coming from PHP backgrounds, WordPress backgrounds, content management system backgrounds, or something like that. But they had they had server-side experience. They understood what a database is. They understood what a SQL query is. Fast forward 12 years... A lot of the people I come across, the younger developers, maybe in their early 20s or they're they're out of college and they're in their first job, they are coming from like a whole different background than they used to be. So they're coming from like Mm -hmm. a front-end background. They've only done like Nuxt or Next. They have no idea how to write a SQL query. They don't even really totally understand, you know, MySQL and Postgres and stuff like that. And that's created sort of a weird educational shift that we've had are trying to figure out still. And that's why when we wrote the boot camp, we were like, we gotta show we gotta show Vue and React in the boot camp for Laravel because it feels like all of the young developers that are getting into server side, like they they're not used to writing PHP templates, you know, like that's weird. So we we've mm. had to shift our educational approach over the years to focus more on people that are coming from the front end side and trying to learn how to do more server side stuff so that they can build whatever more robust application, whatever they want to build. So yeah, it, it's been kind of a shifting challenge. And I think Laracast, I'm not sure if if they've tried to adapt that a little bit as well, but it has shifted over the past decade or so. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. If you look at the timelines, like I mentioned, I started getting into PHP in late 90s, early 2000, and was doing Drupal. And then, you know, when did Node first come out? 2013? Angular was what, I think somewhere around there. I don't remember exactly when it started. And so to them, to people like me, that was like, oh my gosh, we don't have to do everything server-side. We can do stuff in the client. You know, jQuery had made things a lot easier because it handled all of the cross-browser stuff. It did a lot of the stuff that's now in the JavaScript API. So that was what everybody knew was server-side with some templating, whether it's, you know, Java, you know, their templating, Drupal with PHP template, and there's all these time templates. So that made perfect sense. Now you got people that we're able to start with the front end and, and don't know the back end, which is, you know, you also have, think about it, you also have stuff like headless CMSs. 
you know, right. that came along. So they can just go spin up a, a Sanity or a Contentful or a Prismic or something like that that just handles everything for them. And they don't have to know how to hook up to a database and how to right. create your da- define your tables and your rows and your cl- you know all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah that's so yeah, that makes shift. That makes a big sense. It's just a matter of like you said, shifting and, and having to know that stuff. I'm one of those people that I have a hard time with just with the declarative structure sometimes because I want to know the imperative way. How does it operate behind the scenes? It's hard to just trust something. I want to know what it's doing and so that's why i like to know all the php queries and stuff but other people you know like it that way Um, i guess i would say there's only so much you can do i mean the risk is trying to become all things to all people yeah you know you're laravel you're php you're the back end that's your (laughs) thing right and you know you've got jeffrey with laracast there's a bazillion front-end training sites out there whether it's Vue, whether it's react whether it's angular you know whether you to me and front-end masters and you name it. So I don't know how much I would want to branch into the front end side of things and get away from your core area of expertise. Yeah. It would be really cool, I think, if you wanted to go hardcore into education, creating like a choose your own adventure um, or having like a questionnaire. This is something that I'd love to do for for Quasar at some point. Being out like being able to ask somebody five, ten, however far you want to take it. And then building out a custom guide based on that. You'd think we can do that because we're developers. So yeah, that, so that would of, be pretty epic. That's kind of what we tried to do with a bootcamp at bootcamp.laravel.com. So, you know, when you go to the first page, you're presented. Do you basically choose your own adventure? Do you like to write your front end with Blade or with JavaScript? And then from there, it sort of directs you down two different paths. And all the examples are either in PHP or they're in Vue and React on the front end, at least. Of course, all the back end mm-hmm. is, is Laravel regardless. But so yeah, we, that's that's kind of how we tried to reach into both audiences that both the people that have back end or people that are coming from more of a front end world and the people that are already kind of prefer to write PHP. So we'll see how it goes. I mean, we just launched it a few weeks ago. So I'm curious kind of the feedback we get on it and how it evolves going forward. I just had a look at it before this and I thought it was really cool. Hmm. I mean, um, Vue's kind of doing a similar uh, concept with where you can toggle the composition API on or off. They get the toggle switch on the website and then the entire website (laughs) changes the way it explains things based on either options API or the composition API. Like that's that's really cool. I mean, that's kind of different, but yeah, I had a brief look at the bootcamp and thought that was pretty epic how you've gone that little, you know, that extra mile to make sure that people really are comfortable getting started. Yeah, hopefully it works out well. So you're building a, looks like you're building some sort of Twitter type of app called Chirper. <laughs> yeah. Within, <laughs> within the bootcamp, we made it an inside joke about Twitter not having edit functionality and then, you know, here they come with edit <laughs> functionality uh, right after we released the boot camp. So I don't know, maybe we inspired Twitter to. <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't be the first time something like that's happened for sure. Yeah. You can thank Laravel for the edit feature. <laughs> yeah, weird, weird coincidence after, you know, so many years of no edit. But anyways, I'll have to update the boot camp to remove that joke. Uh, no longer relevant. I'm just imagining. I'm imagining now the Twitter guys like being like, "Oh, I need to learn how to do something." I'm just going to go to the like. They're going through the Laravel docs. It's like a new employee, and then he talks to like I don't know his boss, saying, "Oh, I just figured out how to edit things. Maybe we can add this to Twitter." (laughs) Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, thank you for coming on, Taylor. Is there anything else about Laravel you wanted to mention that we hadn't discovered, or I think we covered quite a quite a bit of ground. 
No, you know, if it, if no one's ever, if someone's never played with Laravel before, um, I think that boot camp we were just talking about is a good place to kind of get started and look at it. And you can build an example application right there with a little, a little, a little Twitter clone, and that'd be a good place to start. Oh, one more question I wanted to ask you about. We've mentioned Jeffrey Way and Laracast quite a bit. Did he, was he just come up with Laracast on his own because he loved Laravel so much and then he thought he'd start training and teaching? Uh, was there any sort of planning uh, between you two or, or how did that come no, about? There wasn't any planning between us. So Jeffrey actually spoke at the very first Laracon in 2013 and he was not working. Laracast had not launched at the time i don't think but he was working on it maybe but he, jeffrey way already had kind of a big following before that from doing wordpress tutorials and other php tutorials for invato oh. uh, which was kind of a, a big web development company and so he already had some followers so when he started building laracast and focusing on laravel specific content which we never we never spoke with each other about that we never collaborated on that that was just something he did on his own and still to this day it's to- it's a totally isolated entity from Laravel to company um, this that's two separate businesses and we don't really of course we're friends but we don't really like make business plans together so when he came out with that he already had a pretty big following so all of those people sort of followed him over into the Laravel world and he really introduced a lot of people into the Laravel ecosystem through all of his tutorials and things but no there was no sort of collaboration and planning to make that happen that's just kind of one of the lucky things that's happened in my Laravel journey is it seems like really talented people have come along and built cool things for the Laravel ecosystem and it's really boosted the ecosystem whether it be Jeffrey or in the early days uh, there was a guy named Dale Reese that wrote a really comprehensive couple hundred page book about about Laravel, kind of a tutorial book, really popular, sold a lot of copies of that book. And he introduced a lot of people to Laravel too. But just over the years, it seems like really cool people have come along and built things in Laravel. And I'm you know super thankful for that because I don't think it would be the same without all of those people that came along and, and did all that stuff. But it has sort of worked out that way, you know? Yeah, I know the, the first time I started becoming aware of Laracast was when I would be searching for Vue answers to view problems and Laracast forums and, and Laracast stuff would come up yeah. in the search results. <laughs> like, well, Laracast, well, why? I was like, well, that's Laravel. Why is it coming up with view stuff? I didn't quite understand. And then as I've you know gotten into Laravel yeah. world, in fact, when when I just hired two developers here, and when this came, when we came on, when I came on two years ago, they did the same thing where we all get a Laracast accounts. So we can all go <laughs> on and do our training. And, and I've learned quite a bit from some of his videos. He's quite good at what he does. Yeah, for sure. All righty. Yeah. Anything else, Luke, before I wrap us up? Oh, I was just going to say if anybody wants to get into a backend framework, and I think it's totally worth doing. So especially if you're somebody who's used a lot of things like Firebase or Superbase, a lot of these kind of frameworks where you don't spend a lot of time on the backend. One thing that I've found talking to other people and in my own experiences with these frameworks is that you usually eventually hit a brick wall and that brick wall that brick wall is going usually going to come and when you hit it it sucks and you have to do all sorts of crazy stuff to jump over it it's like um you know you'll be cruising along everything sort of you know going really simply especially for something like superbase or firebase but then when you hit that brick wall then you know you all of a sudden you have to figure out how to climb it and and it sucks but whereas if i i found with a backend framework like laravel those brick walls all just disappear. It's like all of a sudden you have to start dealing with jobs because you need to send emails. And it's easy. Like it's a joke how easy it is to get all of that stuff up and running. And so if you've ever found that, if you're getting that feeling when you're building backend applications that 
you're running into problems that you just can't figure out how to solve. But you're like, this is too much Googling. This, it doesn't feel right that I have to do this much Googling to figure out how to solve this problem or this, like this many Stack Overflow questions. Then definitely Laravel is a great, robust backend framework to jump into. Uh, if you want to kind of like go into the next level of working on the backend, it's an absolute joy. It's got the most, uh, it's got to have the best education on the planet with Lara, with Laracast. So. Yeah, anybody listening, maybe this should be my pick. Definitely just head over to the website and check it out. I got to hire Luke to start marketing Laravel for me. <laughs> oh, dude, I already do it. Look, I'm, I'm doing it right now. You just can't see in the camera. Oh, yeah, he's got the Laravel t-shirt on. Oh, that's awesome. You know, I saw a tweet not long ago, and it was a it was a cartoon about Laravel. And what it showed was like, it showed a ship on the ocean and an iceberg, a big, huge iceberg. And, you know, the water level, like most icebergs, most of it's under the water. And so you had the little bit, the tip, you know, a la Titanic, you know, above the water and then below and above the water is labeled, this is what you have to do. And then below is labeled what Laravel does for you. Uh, yeah. yeah. Actually, could I just add one more thing on top of that? Oh, man, I forgot what I was going to say now. Oh, yeah. The, the other thing is, this is really important. It teaches you how to be a good developer. So when you learn about like some of the guts of Laravel and how things are swappable, that like that really blows your mind when you when you learn how there are things that you can just literally completely pull out of Laravel and it would still work. That coding style that changes you. And I meet a lot of coders that don't know that some of this stuff is possible. And I attribute a lot of the skills that I've learned about coding is just through the framework, just by looking at how Laravel does things. And then in other jobs, I've had to use other backends, which really sucks. I've never found anything that comes close to being as beautiful and enjoyable to use as Laravel. But you start seeing these patterns in Laravel and applying it like my view code. I'm now starting to create service providers and using like provide and inject to um, allow me to swap things out in my view code now. And it's magical. And these patterns, like you're, I feel like I learned just about all of the, you know, the patterns that I now use in the real world just by using Laravel. It turns you into a better coder. So it's not just worth checking out for that, you know, for the reason of it being a great backend framework. Also, just learning how to be a good coder. It's hard to write bad Laravel code. You can, but it's hard to write bad Laravel code. All right, I'm done. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. All righty. So with that, we'll move on to picks. Picks are the part of the pro program, let me spit that out, where we get to talk about other things that we uh, that we like or are interested other than coding and Laravel in view. Could be books, movies, food, you name it. Luke. Let's start out with you. What do you got for us? Oh, gosh, I haven't thought of one yet. Uh-oh. <laughs> All right. I'll what? start over and give you some time to think, and then... Uh, okay, give me a moment. <laughs> right. So, interestingly enough, I saw a tweet the other day by Jonathan Reinick, and it was an article that had been written by somebody about how they had rewritten their app in Inertia, I believe, with, with Laravel. And and how it had amazingly sped up their development time because of everything that was built in. And I thought I had it up and I can't find it now. So I will find that and put it then in the show notes. But it's it's not really any details about, oh, we did this and this. It's more just a, a high overview of, of how using uh, the inertia package uh, had sped up their development time and it allowed them to completely rewrite 
their application. It was a, a company called Fathom, F-A-T-H-O-M, not to be confused with F-A-T-H-Y-M, who I interviewed here on the podcast a few weeks ago. But it's a neat little article and just shows uh, how useful it is. And then for the high point of every podcast, in spite of the guest, is my dad jokes of the week. So I used to be pretty lonely until I glued a cup of coffee on my car. Now everybody waves at me every time I go by. <laughs> so being a numbers guy, you know, when I, I like to smoke, uh, I have a smoker like a Green Mountain Grill, a Traeger type of, of grill, and I like the ribs are one of my favorite things to, uh, to smoke. Costco has some really good preseason ones, by the way. But anyway, whenever I eat a rack of ribs, I only eat ribs numbers two, three, five, seven, and 11 because I prefer prime ribs. <laughs> oh, they're getting better. And then for those of you that, here's a little bit of advice for those of you that like their sweets but still want to watch their diet. <clears throat> Did you know that if you eat an entire cake without cutting it, you technically only had one piece? <laughs> Thank you. And those are the dad jokes of the week. Luke, did you come up with anything uh, while I uh, was killing it? Yeah, actually. One thing I'm really passionate about is dealing with the dance between the front end and the back end. So like building composables that make it, you know, with view that makes it really, really easy to sort of, uh, you know, be able to fetch data from like a Laravel back end. But one thing you need to do to do that is have a very predictable API. And so one thing I've used in Laravel in the past is Laravel Orion. I don't know if you have you heard of this framework, Taylor? Laravel Orion, this package. Let me uh, pull it up. O-R-I-O-N. I'm not sure I've seen this. I thought you were going to say like Laravel Lighthouse or something, the GraphQL thing, but um, I'm not sure if I've seen this Orion before. Really, man, you should check it out. It's so basically, it allows you to build out your entire API with a few lines of code. But he's built it in such a way that it's still it's still flexible. Like you don't feel like you're trapped. He makes it very easy for you to tap in. So you get stuff like filters, being able to include relationships, all that kind of stuff, you know, ordering and that kind of stuff when you're trying to like hit a backend API. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, integrates tightly with Laravel. But it's also really cool for like security reasons. So if you've ever had a Laravel API and you've made it so that you have a query string that just allows you to throw an include, sure. which I've seen people do a lot, um, that's actually quite dangerous because you can accidentally make it possible for users to include data they shouldn't be able to access. You know, right. yeah. So yeah, this allows you to very easily just whitelist certain paths in your include. So I, I just thought it was a really brilliant, well thought out package. And I never start a new Laravel project now without bringing in Orion. Or at least I haven't for a long time. This is pretty cool. And it looks a lot simpler than like this full-fledged GraphQL solution or something. 100%. Yeah, yeah. Way simpler. But yeah, that looks cool. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, check it out. The guy that wrote it um, dedicates a lot of time to it. And it's, um, yeah, it's constantly being updated. And I love it. Anyway, that's my pick, Laravel Orion. Cool. All right, Taylor, do you got any picks for us? Oh, gosh. As far as entertainment stuff, lately I've been catching up on some of the new Star Trek shows. People may have heard on other podcasts on Twitter. I'm kind of a big Star Trek fan. So I've been catching up on uh, Star Trek Lower Decks, the animated... I guess it's I guess it's basically a comedy Star Trek show, but that's been pretty good so far. I'm about halfway through the first season. Yeah, it's a pretty fun show. You and my wife, I tell you, then she knows she knows all the shows and watched them all multiple <laughs> times. She can identify any episode within about the first minute yeah. of what's going on. Yeah. And basketball season's fixing to start here. NBA season's fixing to start, so I'll probably be tuning into that a little bit. But yeah, who's your team? 
we don't, uh, the closest pro team to me geographically is Memphis, uh, Memphis Grizzlies, but I don't really get too heavily invested in one team. I just kind of like watching, uh, everybody and seeing how the season goes, but we don't have a kind of a hometown team that everyone roots for here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Around here, it's, uh, in Portland, we don't have (laughs) any other major sports other than basketball. So the Blazers are like the one big draw, uh, right now. So at least for us, unfortunately not looking like another good year for them, but uh, who knows it may (laughs) turn out a little better. Thanks to Damian Lillard's loyalty. It's better than it would be otherwise. Yeah. Right. All right. This has been a long show, but we're going to wrap it up. Taylor, if people want to give you money or buy things or contact you or read your, your stuff, how do they, how do they do that? Well, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, twitter.com slash Taylor Otwell. Um, check out Laravel.com for info about Laravel and bootcamp.laravel.com for our Laravel bootcamp. But that, that's enough to get you started, I think. Now, you do a podcast as well, aren't you, a Laravel podcast? We, I have done seasons of podcasts in the past. The current Laravel podcast is hosted by Matt Stauffer. And there's various other community Laravel podcasts. The, there's the Laravel News podcasts, you know, that are just sort of fans of the community, but they're not like officially run by me or anything. But yeah, I, I'm not on any podcast regularly, I would say at this point. Hmm. All right. Well, excellent. Well, with that, we will wrap it up. Thank you to Luke for rising from the dead early this morning to to join us. Always a pleasure to have you on as a host. Thank you so much, Taylor, for coming on. It's really an honor to talk with you. You're as well-known and as big as you are and as many applications and companies you, as you've enabled. It's uh, really been an honor to have you come on and, and spend your time with us talking about it. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. So with that, we will wrap it up and we will talk to everybody next time at Views on View. Bye, everyone. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.